I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm chatting with Sina Bindeslev Hendrickson and Peter Bungard Rutsu of Space Copenhagen, who are dialing in from their studio in the Danish capital. It feels like a million years ago that we saw you both in Milan last year and so much has happened. That is true. That feels, that feels very far away. It does indeed. Uh, obviously, with everything that's happened uh, in the last, I guess, nine months, six months maybe, uh, I, w- I would really love to hear from both of you what's been on your mind lately. What has uh, all of this got you thinking about? Oh, quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's uh, I th- I think it's um, it's it's been sort of uh, going through a, a number of phases, and I, I think the first period was sort of uh, I feel like entering a very foggy universe, sort of horizon being very unclear, mm. and as we sort of move through all those quite unusual disruptions, I guess it is. Um, that that uncertainty kind of becomes a f- familiarity in a way. So things still seem pretty uncertain, I guess, but you're just getting used to it being so. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're probably not the only one feeling that way. Uh, I feel that I'm, I'm assuming now that Denmark has been faring the weather perhaps a little better than many places around the world. That's an assumption, though. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear about what's happening over there in terms of working back in the studio if your team is you know, working remotely or if you're back in the studio together again. And how has that transition been for you and the team? Well, I, I think uh, it was a learning experience in the spring, sort of uh, getting a or or crew set up at their uh, home workstations and finding a way through sort of social media software to keep some some kind of collective spirit. Uh, It also felt quite distanced. Mm. And for our profession, sort of uh, those projects that are in in a phase where things have been decided upon and it's sort of machine hours, then working remote is definitely doable. But uh, in terms of things that haven't been decided uh, and were materials and color and tactility and, and all these things that relate to our profession, is extremely hard to, to, to sort of resolve without physical presence. Mm. What about you, Sina? Would you like to add anything to that? How's it, the transition been on your side? Yeah, well, I think in the in the very beginning, I mean, you kind of you're thrown into um, also a lot of uh, the practicalities that Peter just uh, 
described where you kind of need to find a way to cope with the situation and you you sort of have this idea that it's going to be for a period of time and then after a while uh, you kind of realize that this probably will be kind of uh, part of your normal workday for for a long time and uh, and somehow the dust has sort of uh, has sort of landed again and we can see a little bit clearer but I think definitely a lot of other questions are uh, sort of popping up I think uh, also as Peter mentioned it, it's just so much easier and nicer and more sort of engaging to be all of us in the office together also realizing that we sometimes are you know in the need to go back uh, into our sort of apartment offices around the city uh, and we have uh, needed to do that twice uh, with a with a couple of uh, uh, covid um, uh, sort of incidents here in the office and you kind of you're back like for 10 days and then you you also realize how much you actually miss to just be around people and uh, and see their faces and smiles and and uh, and and sort of that whole uh, way of processing creative work, I think, is is just so beneficial from from being together in the same room. Mm. Uh, at the same time, you also feel that, um, or I feel that it's very difficult to go back to sort of, or just longing back to to what was before, because it's definitely, I mean, that would be a big mistake just to to sort of move on as uh, as nothing had happened, just coping with the sort of practicalities um, uh, that we're still dealing with. But uh, but so many things feels already very old fashioned. Uh, looking back six months where we would go to London every week, every second week for a one day meeting or to somewhere else in 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 Europe, just in and out, sitting in a boardroom somewhere. I mean, that kind of travel, I think, is probably, to some extent, completely history. Mm. And then you suddenly start to pressure other things. I mean, you you. I think in a way that we're in the middle of that process of finding out how 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 life should be. Not because the circumstances necessarily demand it. But because it um, it feels like the right time also to reflect a little bit on on the lives we live. Mm. I'd love to hear a bit about um, the creative process between the two of you and how that may have changed or been affected because you you share an office and you would normally sit opposite each other in the studio there in Copenhagen. And if you haven't been able to do that throughout all or part of this time, you know how do you feel that? affected the creative part of what you do? Well, I mean, we were kind of six weeks uh, at a lockdown, but, but since then we've actually been at the office. Okay. So Denmark is not, it's not as heavily hit as a lot of other places. I think uh, our, our sort of big challenge is that uh, a substantial part of our projects is is not in Denmark. So 
so we're, we're sort of also quite directly affected by how it's managed and how it's uh, affected a lot of other places. We have a couple of projects in New York that are uh, at a complete standstill, mm -hmm. the same in London. And we're, we're still sort of six, seven months into that. We're still uncertain about the, the sort of immediate future of those projects. And that sort of puts us at, uh, at, at sort of a partial standby mode, mm. which is, is not, uh, not the easiest sort of way of, of uh, engaging yourself, but also your, your team. Yeah, I can imagine. So during that time in Copenhagen then, during lockdown, did you feel that you had any additional free time on your hand or was was that sort of being sucked up with the conference calls and Zooms and all of the other things that are happening to <laughs> replace travel? Well, we did indeed set up uh, with Zoom and Teams and uh, I know a lot of other sort of software we set up with something called Slack, which everybody was on uh, on a daily on a daily burst, and it it well, it's, it kind of does the trick, but it feels very, very sort of a two dimension in a way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But but I think <clears throat> I think I mean Peter and I are also sort of a little bit in two different situations because I still have small children and uh, and during that period of lockdown it was definitely a different kind of everyday life because they were home and they needed to homeschool and uh, and uh, that sort of combined with the uh, sort of the uh, uh, immense amounts of uh, conference calls uh, trying to cope with the situation around the world at different uh, time, uh, at different hours a day was, was super, super fun and, and quite challenging at the same time. But I would say because we, we used to travel so much uh, that, it, that it has definitely felt like that some time was released into, into our work somehow. Um, because we are, we've been sort of present without any uh, stops or uh, periods of time where we were not sort of available in the same manner uh, as we would uh, uh, be normally. So it, it's been, in a way, it's been a, a feeling of a very fruitful process uh, at the same time as, of course, not being uh, our first choice of... Uh, of uh, condition, but uh, but I think in many ways it has also given some time for reflection about you know we've had a lot of talks about if we could choose you know what types of projects would we like to do and any chance that we could sort of engage in some of you know ideas that we have ourselves and things like that because as a as a as an architect and interior office studio you. You basically react to whoever calls you, and sometimes it's just an interesting exercise to sort of to think, okay, what if we could choose? What, mm. what would we, you know, what would the dream scenario be? And not that we have any sort of 
very clear conclusions on that. But it's been some really interesting talks and some really interesting um, yeah, reflections we've had both alone and together, I think. Mm. I, I would say, you know, so I, I personally, I think more than seen a really miss traveling. Uh, I'm sort of, uh, I feel very fueled of, of that encounter with different cultures on a more regular basis. And, uh, and as Sina puts it, my situation is my kids are quite a bit older than Sina's are and are a different place in life. So, so the practicality of the everyday sort of from a logistic point is, is much more accommodating my sort of ability to travel and it has been quite a substantial part of, of the past 10 years and I really like that part. I feel I feel a certain energy, a freshness and uh, curiosity sort of sparked by the notion of that encounter with what lies outside your sort of your well-known patterns. So I'm I'm personally looking forward to to re-engaging. Uh, I like working with uh, with projects that are defined by people that have needs that at a first glance reflect ours, but then again, uh, not precisely. There is this small twist that defines uh, growing up differently, uh, a different side of the planet under different circumstances. And I think, I think that sort of, uh, that mirroring effect by that confrontation is, is very creative sort of for, for my personal sort of um, uh, preferences, I would guess. I I think you know at the same time at the moment I think one of the frustrations is that long term planning is is not really anything you can do. So it's it's much more week by week, if you may. So it's 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 very difficult to sort of say what you will be doing in six months or in two months or in three months, and it's very difficult to to keep sort of the empathy with your clients that are on the other side of the planet, to keep that completely intact. Um, so, but I guess at some point, I mean, as Sina puts it, it's, it's an excellent sort of um, opportunity to reflect on things. And uh, as we pass through this, I, I think that uh, that might prove on the long term to be beneficial for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I I hope so. I agree. Uh, so I wanted to talk uh, about the three days of design that I think Copenhagen hosted earlier this month. Am I right? Or was it late August? Um, maybe perhaps one of the very few real life events that may be hosted this year. I, I'd love to hear a bit from both of you about you know what the mood was like. Um, you know whether there were big groups of people. Um, you know how inspiring it may have been. I would have been there had it not been for the current situation. So it's perhaps a little bit of wanderlust from my side. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about how it all went. No, I think I think actually I think it was a <clears throat> it was a uh, it was three days that a lot of people had looked forward to. It was still very until the last moment. It was very in- uncertain who, how how big, how many, how uh, how doable uh, the the different sort of arrangements and receptions and exhibitions uh, how that would um, how that that would actually unfold, but. But um, 
but we were really lucky. Uh, the days in Copenhagen were very beautiful. The weather was amazing and uh, quite a lot of people came. I think quite a lot of people obviously did not come. Um, but uh, but the city was sort of uh, in an amazing mood over these days and also a lot of local people and local uh sort of people from the from the field were super engaged in whatever happened and i think that was also that was obviously also due to the fact that people you know they missed to be out they missed to be around discussing things with people seeing things and and engaging in uh in sort of uh in in something that they uh that they care for and 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 feel nourished by so in many ways it was an sort of an a very wonderful experience we had a lot of we had a lot to do during those days uh, we had a lot of talks and a lot of engagements and and we sort of rushed around the city to to sort of um follow up on all that but it was uh, the feeling that the overall atmosphere and the vibe was incredibly positive and and uh, and and very charming actually that's good to hear and i believe that there were some new products that you designed that were launched during that time is that right well, I would say that uh, we were supposed to launch quite a bit during the spring months. So when this finally happened, it was sort of a accumulated, uh, which uh, then actually became quite quite a few launches for quite of uh, well, I would say almost all of our, especially Scandinavian manufacturers had had events, and we had a lot of um, of products to launch with all of them. So as Sina puts it, we were quite busy. I think one of the things that are quite interesting about um, the uh, the three days of design is also that the event is growing stronger. Uh, it's not a very old event, but it is it is sort of making a mark. And because it happens not as a fair, but as a as a as a, an event that is accessible by the public. There also seems to be a huge interest in the notion of discussing design. We had a few sort of quite new initiatives, that, especially with something like Ant Tradition, where we kind of moved into defining an accessory line, an objects line. And one of the interesting uh, sort of approaches to that was that they decided this year to launch that whole collection idea with an auction house under the under the theme or the topic of collecting. What is it to collect? And that, of course, sort of drives the, the question of what is a classic? How does design survive? And why do we need it? What should it do? So having an opportunity to launch products and simultaneously sort of uh, publicly debating what the relevance of design is feels very much sort of the spirit of, um, of th the three days of design, uh, the way it's becoming, the way it's transforming uh, to both showcase design, but also to debate relevance and approach. I'm kind of surprised that Denmark still needs to have those conversations, to be honest. I feel like it's the rest of the world that perhaps should be <laughs> listening in. 
a little closer to that. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I did want to ask you about the products that you launched. Could you maybe pick a couple? Um, it's probably hard to pick favourites, but if there were a couple of designs that you could talk about more specifically, I'd love to hear about those. Yeah, I think uh, we also, I think, I think this uh, sort of accessory collection that Peter mentioned for, um, for End Tradition, which was a collection of both sort of soft pieces, textiles, cushions, throws, etc., but also glass vases, um, uh, sort of big plates in stone and uh, candle holders, etc., has sort of as a collective uh, a collection been a really interesting process for us to, to do these sort of smaller pieces of design because it's relatively new to us but we've been working on 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 sort of on developing that and more to come uh, over the past uh, one and a half two years and uh, and it's wonderful to see it somehow coming together as a small family as a starting point um, because it's something that we very often also use in our projects and go and seek and see if we can find sort of as the last layer of let's say a hotel or a private house or whatever um so that as a as a whole has been a, a really interesting journey so far and we are in the process of sort of adding quite a lot uh, to that uh, the spring and 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 summer next year but then we also did uh kind of um sort of uh a little bit uh, sort of a different approach but uh, still smaller scale objects uh, for a, um, a a new collection that Frederica launched which they call collectibles where they invited I think around four to six maybe a little bit more young uh, up and coming, but also a little bit more established designers to do uh, smaller pieces of both accessories, but also lighting uh, to sort of complement their furniture collection and their sort of heritage. And that was also a wonderful exercise. It was the first time we did two, uh, two small lamps, um, two small table lamps. Um, for them, for that collection, and a small poof, and uh, and it was. Uh, I mean, we are extremely proud of the of uh, of both pieces of uh, of lighting. Uh, they're incredibly cute, uh, both of them in 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 stone and uh, and opal glass and metal, and uh, and. Uh, and we hope to be able to develop these two series uh, over the coming years. But it's also been fun to see how uh, Frederica kind of as this heritage brand has sort of found a way to, to, to choose some really relevant pieces of design and different materials uh, in different manufacturing processes that they are uh, used to and actually really get away with a lot of extremely beautiful pieces um, also sort of from uh, from all the other uh, from all the other contributors so so um, I would say that these two sort of launches that 
both consist of more pieces uh, have been uh, sort of the most important launches that we did during uh, three days. We can kind of see it as a tendency that uh, that the brands seek to extend sort of the scale of their products to accommodate sort of uh, uh, a stronger reach into the needs of the customer. So we kind of feel that with a lot of our manufacturers that ranging from corpus corpus furniture pieces to smaller items that have a both practical but sometimes even just a decorative uh, nature and to have that span to use the, the brand awareness to create uh, sort of to anchor perception in the customers is definitely a new phenomenon and and we see that as a as a general tendency and I've seen a purchase with Fredericia, which has been so anchored in, in, in wood and leather as their main material palette to, to extend into something as quite different from a technical point uh, that, uh, that lighting is, is, is definitely a very brave, but also a, sort of a new direction. And uh, we think it's, it's quite interesting that the brands are uh sort of uh slowly changing their self-awareness they are also becoming simultaneously more interested in debating how their products are made which has also been a part of the three days of design this growing consciousness that might have been you could even say accelerated uh in the in the path or the wake of uh covid this sort of sustainability, this consciousness about how to be responsible in terms of resources is also a growing debate and a growing part of the Scandinavian brand self-awareness, which is something that we are having a lot of discussions with our manufacturers about how to, how to incorporate that thinking, not as a branding exercise, but as something that we perceive that the market naturally heading forward uh, should think about. Mm, that's really good to hear. And on that, actually, I wanted to go back to the three days of design and, and actually ask you what your thoughts are on the future of large exhibitions and events like, you know, Salone in Milan or Maison Objet in Paris. Do you think there's going to be a place for them in the world post-COVID or do you think things are going to change quite drastically? I mean, I see many events now are going online I kind of hope that's not the future of the design world, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you think about all of that. Well, you, you could say that, uh, I mean, before COVID, events had also, it, there had been some kind of inflation. If you, if you were in Europe, almost every larger city would have a design event and it became very difficult to sort of attend everything. Uh, it was also very difficult to focus and kind of feel relevance. But on the other hand, we, we do need to, to have a collective feel about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And actually being in something like Milan has a, a huge social uh, component that it's not only about the sort of the, the more business oriented part of the, the industry, but it creates an opportunity for people to sort of uh, 
react to each other, to have conversation, to meet, to socialize and feel uh, both the joy, uh, but also a fueling of energy in the presence of everyone else in the industry. So I think we share your notion that we, we certainly do hope that at least a couple of these events will not disappear. But I think also a little bit like I have I have absolutely no um, set answer to uh, what's going to happen, for instance, with Milan, because also so many brands and so many people depend on it. Uh, also in Milan, I mean, the city in itself is hugely dependent on uh, on that event every year. Uh, so in many ways, I hope that that it will take shape uh, one way or the other. But but as I think that we feel that that certain certain travel is needed for uh, for a creative process to uh, uh, sort of to unfold and and uh, to engage with uh, a building site and uh, a client uh, for inspiration or for uh, workshop visits, etc. Uh, there are also certain traveling. Uh, or certain sort of types of traveling that feels very kind of uh, old-fashioned. And uh, and it also somehow feels like a crazy waste to build up for millions and millions and millions of euros of, uh, of universes that are being torn down three days later or a week later and uh, and and somehow I think that this will need to somehow uh, take another shape um, over time and uh, and it feels right now when thinking about visiting Salone it it does not feel like something that will happen next year in April um, but again as Peter said it's actually the fair that we would definitely go to every year and a lot of the other fairs we would choose uh, a little bit uh, depending on our uh, uh, our other projects etc um, but uh, it uh, it for sure is the most still the most charming and the most wonderful fair of all of them and uh, and I guess we all really missed uh, not going there this year so um Something will for sure happen, and uh, and exactly what I think is probably a little too early to say, but uh, but this is not going to go away uh, anytime soon, I think. But you you could sort of ponder that. I I agree with Cena. Sort of also for the past at least five years, where we've been to Milan, sort of disregarding the past six months, our behavior has definitely changed. Sort of saying that going to the actual fair seems not relevant to the degree it was 10 years ago, uh, partially because of also everything being online. So you don't necessarily need to go there yourself. It's being reported very fast, almost simultaneously as it happens. So the reason that we go there is to share the energy. We think a lot of those events, a lot of those venues that are more debative or more curious and playful that are in the city in itself uh, where people sort of go at length to try and see what design can do how it can inspire how it can transform our perceptions and contribute towards 
our aesthetics, our social notions, all those sort of activities are, are what really creates value. So, so maybe heading forward the actual mercantile sort of component that's represented by stuffing together uh, 2000 manufacturers in a concrete uh, facility on a flat field outside a city might not have the same charm. But going to a city and sort of enjoying the city fabric and being social about having your attention on something you're all equally interested in is definitely something I, I think and, and do hope will, will prevail and will transform, that the fairs will transform to this notion rather than the sort of very mercantile orientation. Mm, I hope you're right. I think I like the sound of that, actually. Um, so speaking of Milan, when, when we had the opportunity to speak last year, um, you know, you explained to me the um, how you would sort of explain what your philosophy is, the poetic modernism, um, which I think is really beautiful. But I've also heard you talking about slow aesthetics, and I think that that's, it seems very appropriate at the moment. And I'm, I'm wondering if you think that the time that we're in now is has changed or will change how people think about the objects that they use and live with and surround themselves with. Have you had any thoughts on that? But, but I, think, <clears throat> I think the interesting thing is that um, what COVID has some, somehow made us all realise is some of the things that have been sort of alluring as important topics for years has has become even more present during this crisis and um, and of course it's it's all about you know finding finding basically i think we are all struggling to find the meaningful life you know what actually does make sense what what makes sense in terms of of how we spend our time but also what we spend our money on how we how we uh, manufacture or uh, how we manicure our surroundings and uh, and then all the issues about the climate and sustainability and and uh, and the sort of the values that we believe in in terms of friends and family and and how to uh, be true to all these things that we, at the end of the day, find are the most important. How do we translate that into into actually making the right choices uh, when both designing but also uh, building? And I think I think that somehow um, that connection. I mean, we've always been extremely interested in that connection between sort of the psychology of human beings, what is it that makes us safe, engage us, makes us curious, uh, uh, makes us feel alive, you know, how, how do we, how do we um, provoke but not being intimidating, how do we, how do we uh, interpret um, different types of atmospheres and, and uh, and functions, uh, etc. And I think that's just become even more relevant, as you say, because it's some somehow something that we all forced into 
to find a new way of navigating in. And uh, I think we, we just feel that that's just even more important today than it was yesterday and that, um, that we are heading in the right direction and, uh, and, uh, and have, a lot of, um, have a lot of talks about that here in the office. We also see a tendency sort of uh, not, not only related to a singular object, I mean, how do you create something that doesn't exist and how do you try to secure that it has personality to exist in a potential future? And so there's this notion of both seeking reference into your aspiration, but also in terms of the choice of materials. And it's, it seems to be a, sort of a collective quite uniform notion to try and use what is in our immediate surroundings. I mean, we were just recently um, looking into marble, and on that notion we came across conversations about, for example, in the States, there's, a, there's actually quite a lot of interesting stone in the States, but for some reason, very often, those slabs are sailed to Europe to be cut and then transported back to the States. And for some reason, this just doesn't add up. It doesn't feel right. Uh, and I think when we go about sort of working with projects, disregarding whether it's in our backyard here in Denmark or working somewhere else, I think there is this added urge to see what, what does this place represent? What grows naturally here? What is what defines this territory in terms of materials, but also in terms of culture, craft and skill? How can we utilize that to create something that doesn't seem alien here, but also where the appliance of it, making it happen, is, is done with a consciousness of how it affects everything? So I, th I think being slow in that sense, saying that Let's try and use what we can without sort of making it more difficult than it needs to be. And also by doing so, saying, well, we're building this out of something you can say that truly originates from this place. I mean, we're, we're all kind of worried about this extended gentrification that you see everywhere where, you know, a, a, tendent, a, a tendency to a certain aesthetic is has success and then it's applied everywhere on the planet which sort of takes out uh, the sensation of feel that you've traveled because you're essentially having a replica of the same experience everywhere so i think there's a huge counter counter reaction to that phenomenon that's going to put focus on on these elements of culture and craft and material and resource being slow mm. I think you may have actually answered my last question for you, but I'm going to put it to you anyway in case there's something else that you want to add to it, and that is um, I'm, I'm curious to know what changes you might like to see in as a result of, of the situation that we're in right now, whether it's a change in the design world or the world at large. You know, what, um, what could be the silver lining in all of this? Well, you know, it's like from a creative point, 
it's sort of if you look back through history then periods of change and disruption that are involuntary uh, they always account for change so I, I think sort of the notion of change is something that we we should address not being scared of it sort of saying that the our ability to adapt and to welcome change is one of our most sort of advanced skills uh, for survival and not being not being afraid of applying change for a better future is, is certainly something that I think uh, a period like this could bring to the forefront of our attention and there are a lot of things that needs to change I mean there it's it's so obvious seen addressed it before that there are obvious problems uh, in terms of this whole phenomenon of being global uh, which we enjoy but it also has a definite cost we're an extreme amount of people where our lives are different uh, our preferences are different and we need to adapt we need to find a balance how to how to um, coordinate all of this not feeling that we're losing something that we're gaining something but we're being responsible uh, at the same at the same notion that's a really good point. Did you want to add anything to that, Sina? Or no, I, I think uh, I think we're completely aligned on this uh, question, and I think uh, I think for us, in in many ways, it's very much about uh, just sort of keep doing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, r rather do uh, less but better um, uh, in both sort of in terms of sort of our work, but also in terms of choosing the right sort of making the priorities uh, for the future. And I think that somehow when, when, I mean, looking back, everybody would say it would have been impossible to sort of to, to transform the world this fast. Uh, and in a way it's, it's, um, yeah. I mean, we're smoothly working here in our office uh, under a, sort of a, an, a set of new circumstances, and and it kind of, it kind of uh, works anyway. And uh, I think that somehow, as Peter said, I mean, we, we kind of need to embrace it because we don't really have a choice. And I think we should try and get the best out of it because I think there's some, so many things that we um, that we actually can benefit from in the long run. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting, and I hope you stay well and safe in Copenhagen. Are you calling from Hong Kong? Or uh, are you, yes. Are you calling from? yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I hope I will be in Copenhagen again at some stage, but otherwise, hopefully, the next time Milan is on, um, we hope to see you there. Yeah.